Welcome to the Wild Grand Rapids message of the week. We hope you're encouraged, strengthened, and experience the presence of God through this message by Pastor Matthew Fuller. All right. How are we doing? Yeah, that's good. Or maybe move it over here. That's good. We're good. For anybody that doesn't know, I've been on a journey. Fun one. I, uh, it's actually, I'm going to do something real quick. I can't get it out of my head. Last week, my mom said, chase after the thing that's chasing after you. Since getting free advertising real quick. It says Mud Penny on. Can you zoom the, on this? It says Mud Penny. For that person that, where are they from? Who's watching? Really far away. Ethiopia. Ethiopia. They're coffee people there. Yeah. Go to mudpenny.com and order a bag. <laughs> so starting in November of last year, I, I started with a cold. And uh, it's mid-November. And it developed. It wouldn't go away. I started getting an upper uh, respiratory infection. And then I had a flu. It put me out for two weeks. I had the 104 fever thing that everybody was getting throughout uh, the holiday seasons and into the new year. And then in uh, a week or two, so then we have a child, the very beginning of January. And the, on a Thursday, the following Tuesday, I woke up with, uh, with back pain and it, it progressed really bad throughout that week. And I ended up in the hospital the following week and uh, couldn't move at all. I was put out, uh, my, half my leg was completely numb. I had neuropathy going down my leg um, and ended up getting an injection right into the nerve, into my sciatic nerve. And it's just totally just destroyed me. And uh, I had prayer this last, just on Friday. I was we're pretty tired of it. It's right after a newborn, I can't even help take care of my child. Getting a little old. And so Friday, I wake up in the morning and I, I can't sit up again. I said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. So my mom came over and we started praying. Is this off center? I feel off center. Yeah, it's going to drive me nuts. I am way too. Oh my gosh. Whew. That's worse than back pain. Oh my gosh. So then I, I get this, this pain. She comes over on Friday, and I have neuropathy, like I said, down my leg. Half my leg is completely numb. I can't stand for more than five minutes at a time. I have to sit down for about 30 seconds so the pain goes away, and then I get another five minutes of being able to stand. Um, and I don't know if anybody's noticed or not, but I've been standing all through worship. So she's praying, and uh, I start to feel feeling once again on my foot. And I, it, I'm serious, it's like half the foot is gone, all my toes I can't feel. And then we're praying, she's praying, we're probably about a half hour into it, and I get up and I start walking around and I felt the pain come back. And we just started saying, no, we're not gonna deal with this again. We're not dealing with this again. And so I felt the pain go away in my, in my leg. I was able to go out to eat that night. We walked like five blocks downtown, which I hadn't been able to walk more than, like I said, for about three minutes at a time. And then I woke up again yesterday and I was in pain again. And again, I'm just like, Lord, I'm not doing this because I remembered something that was in my Bible. It says, by his stripes, I am healed. I might not need this. It says, by his stripes, I am healed. 
I remember that it said to heal the sick, not pray for healing but to actually heal the sick. Don't hope that healing comes, but that healing was actually paid for in the atonement. And so throughout my day, I wasn't able to come to the conference yesterday because I was in so much pain. So I decided, you know what? I'm gonna use this time and I'm gonna worship Jesus. My mother-in-law is in town. She, she took on my little munchkins and, and got them out of the house for a little bit. And I had sat at home and all I did is I worshiped through the pain. Because I know that there are some people that are healed instantaneously and there's some people that are on a journey. And I said, Lord, I understand that I'm on a journey, but I'm ready for this pain to be healed. And so I came here this morning knowing that the Lord was gonna come and knowing that I am gonna fight for my breakthrough. I'm gonna fight for my healing. And I am gonna tell you, I have absolutely 100% feeling in my leg right now and in my foot. That's not something that I just like to play around with. I don't like to just tell testimonies of healing, but I believe that Jesus is a healer, and so I started jumping today. I'm telling you, I couldn't sit up yesterday for more than a couple of minutes at a time. But he's alive. He's alive and he's present. And so I'm gonna chase after that very thing that's trying to chase after me, and that's sickness and disease. And we're gonna, we're gonna pray for just a minute here before I go into my message. If you, have, if you need healing in your body, if there's something that has been chasing after you, we're gonna chase after it right now. I want you to raise your hand if there's something that's been going on that's been tormenting you. Oh my gosh, you guys need to get healthy. That is a lot of people. Wow, if you're standing, keep your hand up. If you're sitting next to one of these people. You know, it's, it's, we, we had a, a really funny review, actually. We did this a few weeks ago where we prayed for healing and somebody gave us a negative review online. <laughs> like the number one thing that Jesus did in his ministry while he was here upon the earth, they gave us a negative review on Google. And I'm gonna share a testimony of that Sunday that we prayed for this, that we prayed for healing. There was somebody in here uh, that wasn't gonna come to church. He got up in the morning and he said, I'm not going to church. He gets in the shower and he says to himself, I'm not going to church because he had the same upper respiratory infection in his lungs. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to church. He gets in his car, he starts driving to church. He said, I'm not going to church today. There's no way I'm going to church. And he's not able to breathe in very deep without breaking out in a cough. And he gets to church. We pray in the beginning of service. I pray for this thing. We get the bad review. And the guy breathes in. If you'd stand up real quick. He breathes in as much as he can and he's 100% healed in the moment. See, the, the Jesus that I said yes to, I knew that he was still alive. And I knew that he commanded us to heal the sick, not to hope for the sick, to heal the sick. So if you'd raise your hand and if you're next to one of those people, stretch out your hand, touch them on the shoulder, whatever it is that they need. And we're gonna go after some healing this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we command healing into these bodies right now in Jesus' name. We say where there is tormenting spirits, where there is sickness and disease that is trying to come against and to bring a debilitating pain, a debilitating weakness, a sickness that is distracting them from their destiny, that is distracting them from their calling, Lord. I pray that Jesus, you will be glorified in this place this morning, God. Holy Spirit, you reveal yourself to, to you, you, you show yourself strong that you would reveal Jesus here upon the earth. And so Jesus, we glorify you through the healing in this place right now. We command bodies be healed right now in Jesus' name. Bodies be healed in Jesus' name. If you're starting to feel anything, if you would test it out, if there's something that you can test, I want you to start waving your hand in the air if you're feeling healing at all. 
We've got one person that's waving their hand right now. We've got two people, three people that are waving their hands that are feeling. Four, we got the charismatic guy in the front waving his hand that's on the floor. <laughs> There's four people that are being healed right now. And I know that Jesus isn't a respecter of persons, so we're going to keep praying. Lord, we just command right now. Come on, pray with me. Pray like you actually mean it. We command healing into these bodies right now. Your word says that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, we are healed. You paid for our healing upon the cross. You paid for our healing, Lord. And so we thank you, God. We thank you for healing these bodies right now in the name of Jesus. If you test out again, if somebody, if there's, if there's a pain that you know that you have, if there's a way that you can test whether or not you've been healed, test it out and start waving your hand. We got another person waving their hand. Two people, three people waving. If you've been healed, stand to your feet and just give Jesus praise. Come on, stand to your feet. Look at this. Come on, he's alive. Okay. Come on. There was somebody that was just taken from the, from here. Somebody was just taken to the hospital about five minutes ago with chest pain. If you'd all stand to your feet in agreement. Lord, we're tired of sickness and disease in this community. We command right now over John Beach, in Jesus' name, 100% healing into his body. We command all chest pain to go. Come on, everybody pray like you mean it. We command all chest pain to go right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that there is no distance in the spirit realm. So, Lord, I thank you for dispatching your angels that are bringing, that are ministering, that are bringing healing to his body, that are strengthening him right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for the testimony of Jesus, that it's a spirit of prophecy, that those that have been healed in this place already, Lord, that, that is, is a prophetic declaration that you will do it again in his life. Lord, we thank you and we command healing to come to his body right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for healing in Jesus' name. Come on, it's all to glorify Jesus. It's all to glorify Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Did you guys hear about the send going on in Brazil? Did you hear that the president of Brazil got saved yesterday? Did you hear that Jesus is still alive? <laughs> they thought they got him. Three days, the ground started shaking. This little veil that separated all of humanity from the presence of God started to quiver. Stone was rolled away, the veil split in two. And Jesus rose from the grave. The same ministry. We're told to be like Jesus here upon the earth. And we might as well do the same things that Jesus did. It's to love people to love him so much that we believe that he's still alive and that he's here to heal so that he could be glorified. Come on, Lord. I've got a little bit of holy anger going on. I'm tired of the devil. Mess with the wrong family, that's for sure. Mmm. Other thing that's gonna drive me nuts, can we get this light turned on right here? It's the only one out there that's not on. 
No, not that one, not that one. No, turn those back down. Oh my gosh. Wait for Jake. Just wait for Jake. Oh gosh. All right. I'm going to talk to you about covenant. Is that up there? It is. Look at that. That is very cool. I'm going to talk about covenant. So in the Bible, covenant is mentioned 555 times. 555 times. To give perspective, faith is mentioned 627 times, and repent is mentioned 628 times. Now, I think we talk about covenant more than 10% less than both faith and repentance. Covenant was a big deal. Covenant is meant to be something that we are to walk in. We have been given the greatest covenant from Jesus that we get to live for all of eternity with him. And there are a whole list of things that are found in our covenant with Jesus that we get to access, one of those being healing here upon this earth. But we're going we're gonna to look at the life here of David that I think probably, I don't know if he's the most, but, but definitely represents one of the, the greatest covenant hearts that is in the Bible. And we're going we're gonna to look, we're going to follow his life a little bit. We're going to unpack some things. You guys ready for that? So covenant is meant to be something that's, that's not meant to be broken. It's, it's, it's a contract, but it's a contract written in heaven, not written by our signatures, but by the witness of Jesus Christ. It's a commitment that we make that we know that we're not going to break. And if we do, there's pain that's involved. It's a messy, it's a messy thing that ha- happens as a result of breaking covenant in the same way that if you break a contract, you know, there's, there's a payment usually that has to, that has to take place. So let's turn our Bibles to first uh, Samuel Chapter 16. You guys like my fancy new iPad? Isn't this cool? I know. I feel really cool with it. I was walking around this morning just holding it. There was no reason that I needed it. I was just walking around <laughs> holding it. I thought it looked cool. If you saw me, you probably thought, wow, that's pretty cool. He's got an iPad. It's a big one, too. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, First Samuel chapter 16. So we've got Samuel comes to town. Let's just read it. Verse one, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself and come with me to sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I just remembered why I was gonna summarize this as these names coming up here, ready? So Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel says to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. 
For we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So David comes down and he's anointed. Now the anointing that took place in this time is a little different than what we do. Like the little dab on the hand thing, that we do. This is like, they take a horn of oil and pour it on top of the person, and there is oil dripping down. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Let's keep reading. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Must, uh, there must, you know, he, he went from Saul and went to David. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be made well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. David really sounds a lot like myself. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent by his son, David, to Saul. So David came to Saul, stood before him. He loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul said to Jesse, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. For so it was, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp, play it with his hand, then Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So David has this extreme moment with the prophet of the Lord. He is anointed as king. It's election day for him. He's anointed as king, and then he is called to go and to serve in front of the very thing that is supposed to be his. Can you imagine that? Like, we actually look at this story and we think, oh, wow, that's cool. David found favor and he's able to go play a harp. But can you imagine being told that you're king and standing in front of that throne and having to serve that very position that you have been called to serve. See, he was elected, but inauguration day hadn't come yet. He was called, but his function looked a little bit different at that time. Each and every one of us have a calling from the Lord. How many of you know your calling remains the same, but sometimes your function will change? But David, being a man of a covenant heart, knowing that the Lord had called him, was able to stand before Saul and in honor and integrity, not try to work his way up to the throne, but he chose the low spot. He chose to serve. And he did it with honor. He did it with integrity. And, and it was even said that, that David was, was seen as a skillful player of the harp. The spirit of the Lord had, been, had come upon him and he was seen as a man of war. Now, the interesting thing about that is that he was noticed as a man of war after the spirit of the Lord came upon him, but the next story reveals something different. So after this happens, he goes and Goliath comes to town, right? We know the big battle of Goliath. He goes and he taunts the armies of Israel, and he's saying, look, bring somebody out. Who wants to bring, bring it on? You know, who wants to take on me? Goliath, the champion of the Philistine army, and he's taunting the armies of Israel. 
for 40 days and 40 nights and they don't know what to do. And then David comes to town. He comes back from feeding his sheep. He comes to bring his brother's bread and they mock him. Because David says, who is this that is defying the armies of the living God? He says, this man comes with a spear, with a javelin, with a sword, but I have come in the name of the Lord to battle. And they mock him. They say, you're just a youth. You're not a man of war. This is a man of war from his youth. See, the spirit of the Lord had come upon David and his destiny was being revealed to those around him before he was actually even walking in it. There are things that God has placed in each and every one of us that when the spirit of God comes upon us, it's like people will see it over your life. If you're poor, they see you as a rich person and you don't even know why. It's like you, you keep running into money all of a sudden because the spirit of the Lord comes upon you and there's things that get revealed through our lives that are our callings that are trying to help bring us as stepping stones to the ultimate relationships that are gonna help us reach our destiny here upon this earth. See, because after David goes out, he goes out and he fights Goliath. He takes a couple of rocks, he puts them in his, his bag and he, he comes out to Goliath with the showdown, he runs straight at him and he whips a, a pebble, knocks Goliath in the head and he falls to the ground. He didn't bring a sword with him, so he goes up and he grabs Goliath's sword. He says he kills him, chops his head off. You know, this is a dramatic experience that happens. It wasn't like, hey, don't do that, knock it off. But he went to battle. And he comes back from the battle and Saul just, is, just finds so much favor with David. He loves him. He sees David and he, says, and he says to Jesse, he says, please, let him stay with me. I want David to stay with me. He was recognized as a man of war in the place that he served in humility. He, before he was even a man of war, he came to battle. He won the battle. The entire Israeli army goes and the Philistines run and they slaughter them. Comes back, finds favor from Saul. And right after that, he finds the covenant relationship that he needs to fulfill his destiny. It says right after this that, in chapter 18, verse one. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is right after Saul says, please stay with me. After he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day, would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off his robe his robe would have represented his, his authority, would have represented his identity, who he was. He had the robe as the heir to the throne. That when Saul died, he was rightfully his position to become the king, but he knew that the Lord had anointed another. So he takes off his robe that was on him and he gives it to David. He gives him his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt, everything Jonathan makes this dramatic statement to David after he makes the covenant with him. Everything that I am, what is rightfully mine, I am choosing to give to you. And so there's this covenant relationship that takes place as a result of David taking the low road, not trying to take his calling into his own hands, but knowing that the Lord had given him something that was for a time in the future. See, now, each and every one of us, I mean, we I, personally... 
I probably would have walked into that room like, okay, could you keep that warm for me? I'll be up in just a moment, Saul. Um, I know that spirit is distressing you. I'm glad. I hope it kills you because I'll be sitting there soon. You know, it's like, this is my calling. I just had this dramatic experience. I, my, I'm still not done being oily. I'm still oily from my experience. Like, I am so anointed, I am ready to take on the throne. So please step aside. I wouldn't be like grabbing my guitar like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be ready for the kingdom. But Saul took the low, or David took the low road, and he has this relationship. So after this experience with Jonathan and David, they go and they, they, they had this battle, and everybody's coming back to town, and all these people are singing, Saul kills his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Again, I would be like, Saul, thank you for warming it up. It is my turn. Please move out of the way. But what happens as a result is Saul gets jealous of David, and he seeks to kill him. He's, he, he, he is not happy that everybody is celebrating David. He wants to be the one that is recognized. He is the king. So David gets afraid a little bit, and uh, Jonathan comes to him, and, and he says, you know what? I'll go talk to my father to make sure that everything is fine. And Jonathan fights on the behalf of David. See, he became his safety, and he became his champion for the calling that he was going to be walking into eventually. The very person that has the right to that calling became a covenant relationship that fought for his safety to keep him alive, to preserve him so that he would be able to finally sit upon the throne. Had he not had that relationship, David may have been killed by Saul, but Jonathan goes to Saul. Saul says, I'm not gonna do anything to him. Distressing spirit of the Lord comes upon him one more time. David goes in, he plays his harp. Saul gets enraged and he throws a spear at him two times and David is able to escape. And he runs out into a field and he hides. And Jonathan goes after him and he's talking to him again. And one more time, they renew this covenant. In 1 Samuel 20, 14 through 16, it says, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I'm still while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. See, they had already made a covenant with each other, but there's something about covenant that is important to be renewed daily. It's one thing to say I do at the end of the aisle. It's another thing to say I do when I wake up every morning. Covenant is meant to be something that goes deeper than just a commitment once made, and maybe we reference it. But it's actually a real relationship that that gets renewed over and over and over again. It's a commitment with the people that we have decided to come into covenant with, that the Lord has brought in our lives, that we have said yes to, that we consistently keep that covenant before us, that we remind each other, I am in this with you to the end. You are in this with me till the end. This is a reminder, I will not let this thing break. Though it seems like I'm being driven away from the kingdom, though it seems like I'm being driven away from my very calling, I will remind you that we are in this thing together. I will remind you that though it seems like the devil is at your heels, we are in this thing together and I'm here to keep you safe. Now David, the interesting thing about this covenant that he made Once again, not only did he not take his calling into his own hands by killing Saul, but that would still leave an issue. Jonathan is still heir to the throne. David chose to choose 
to trust the very person that could very easily take that calling from him. He's able to trust him so much. The very person that rightfully, this calling is Jonathan's by, with his birthright. But he is able to trust that when Jonathan goes to Saul and asks his father whether or not he's gonna hurt him, he's able to give his life into the safety of that person. Is that not mind-blowing if you actually think about that? Not only is it a risk for Jonathan to put himself out there to be sneaking around talking to David when Saul is upset, but it's a risk for David to know that he's not just getting played. That this person actually has his best interest in mind because they've made the covenant and they've renewed the covenant again. We have to be able to fully trust our lives into the hand of another person for us to ever reach the fulfillment of our destiny here upon this earth. I actually believe that our callings cannot be fully realized unless we fully lay our lives down for one other person here on this earth. I don't think we can. I think that we can try to attain it on our own, but we're gonna end up burned out and we're gonna end up off track. It's only found in the lives of those that are sitting right next to us that we find our true destiny. So he goes and he goes back to his father again, Jonathan does. And he says, do you see harm for David? And, 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 and Jonathan had told David that, hey, I'm gonna come out here I'm gonna, after I talk to my father and I'm gonna shoot some arrows. If I tell you that they're beside you, it's one thing. If I tell you that, the, if I shout to my assistant uh, that the arrows are, are beyond the target, then that means, you know, you need to run. And so he goes, talks to his father, and yes, he's, Saul tells Jonathan, I'm gonna kill David. And so it grieves Jonathan, and Jonathan goes out, and he shoots his arrows, and they go beyond, and he yells it out, and he tells the servant, grab the arrows and go back. So Jonathan goes and finds David, who's hiding in the field, and they're weeping with one another. And one more time, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. He's reminding him one more time of the covenant. Go in peace. It's gonna be okay. We've made covenant with one another. Though your situation may look like this, though my father comes to kill you, though your destiny is trying to be destroyed, go in peace because we're in relationship. Everything's gonna be okay because we have committed our lives to one another. So go in peace, it's gonna be fine. So he goes and he has this entire journey that takes place. Can you imagine the regret that David has? He had his moment. He's sitting before the throne. He had favor with Saul. He could have taken his opportunity just to take them all out. David was... A, he was skillful at this point. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. He had favor. He, can you imagine? He's running now in fear for his life. And he's going and he, he runs into a few people. And one more time, Jonathan finds David. In 1 Samuel 23, verses 17 through 18, he says to him again, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. They've already made covenant. They've already reminded one another three or four times. But he says again, do not fear. Do not fear. The relationship is what is keeping his head on straight. The relationship is what's keeping him from burying himself in a cave 
alone forever. It's the very person that God called him to that's reminding him, hey, don't fear, it's gonna be fine. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. It's gonna be okay. And then he speaks his identity. He speaks his destiny. He says, you shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them, again, make a covenant before the Lord. They renew their covenant one more time. And David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house. See, David had the anointing, but he hadn't had the covenant yet. He had the calling, but he didn't have the relationship yet. He didn't have the person yet in his life that was gonna keep that calling safe, that was gonna keep that destiny safe until he had met Jonathan. And they go on this journey with one another where they are consistently reminding each other. David saying, I will take care of your household. I made a covenant with you and your entire household. And Jonathan reminding David, you will be fine. You are king. Remember, the Lord has anointed you as the king. We all know it. My father knows it. You're gonna be okay. And he just reminds him because there's safety in covenant. There's safety in the relationships that the Lord calls for our lives. So he goes, and unfortunately, through a series of events, he finds himself in a cave being chased again by Saul. And Saul gets tired and he goes into the cave with his people and they go and they lay down and it says that a deep sleep comes upon Saul and David has his opportunity. And he goes out while Saul's sleeping and he walks up to him and he cuts a piece of Saul's clothes off and he walks back to his men and his men are excited. They're like, now's our opportunity. We're gonna take him out. First Samuel 24 verse six says, and he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointing of the Lord. See, finally, he has his opportunity again, but he is a man of a covenant heart. He's not gonna take his calling and his position into his own hands, and at the same time, he is not gonna violate the relationship, the position that he has been placed in. Even though Saul was out to kill him, he recognized that this is my master. And I will not take it into my own hands. The Lord will be the one to deal with it. One more opportunity. Saul is sleeping one more time. He has a jug of water and a spear that's next to his head. And David goes and grabs it, walks away and yells out to Saul one more time. Hey, I had the opportunity to kill you and I didn't. And he could have taken his calling into his own hands. So then throughout a a, a battle that takes place. Unfortunately, Jonathan and all of his brothers are killed and Saul hears of it. Saul's getting closed in on by the enemies. An arrow strikes Saul and Saul says, I'm not gonna let them take me. And he falls on his own sword and takes his own life and David becomes king. David then later in life remembers his covenant that he had with Jonathan and he called for anybody that was of the household of Saul. He made a covenant with Jonathan, but he asked for anybody in the household of Saul because he made a covenant with not only Jonathan, but his entire household. If anybody in the household of Saul is still alive, have him come to me. And one person, a son of, of Jonathan is alive and he comes and he tells him, you can sit and eat at my table forever. So he had these stepping stones that took him from just being a person tending to the sheep 
functioning as a servant before the very person that he wanted to be, that he was called to be, a man of war, on the run, running for his own life into a relationship, a covenantal relationship that kept him safe, that kept his calling, that kept his destiny, his mandate here upon this earth alive and well. Now we're gonna skip here real quick and I'm gonna come back to David in just a second. But a few weeks ago, we had a, a couch talk, we could call it. Let's call it a couch talk. Yeah, that's cool, right? We'll do couch talks. And uh, in, during the couch talk, this, this, this uh, topic of covenant came up and I mentioned Ruth and Naomi. And I'm gonna read real quick about Ruth. Actually, let me just summarize for the sake of time. So Ruth is married, life is good. Ruth has a sister-in-law that's married to her husband's brother. And both her husband and her husband's brother die. But Ruth was in a covenant relationship with her husband, right? They were married. They were in covenant with one another. Well, after they die, Ruth's mother, Naomi, is very upset. Obviously, everybody's distraught at the fact that the husbands have died. And it, it takes place that Naomi tells the, the daughter-in-laws, hey, you know, you have no ties to me anymore. My sons are dead. And they say, well, no, we can, you know, we can hang out. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to stick around until I have another kid. The kid grows up and then you're going to marry the, the child. And the one daughter-in-law is like, yeah, good point. You know, I, I do have, I've got life to live. I know that I'm supposed to be married. And so the one daughter-in-law turns back and goes to her hometown. Now, these were, they were not Israelites. They, so they, they were not, they were outsiders. So she goes back to what she knows. But the, da, but the one daughter-in-law, whose name is Ruth, decides to stay with Naomi. And right when Naomi says, I can't even look at you, it grieves me so much, please go back. I just need some space. How many have had those relationships in our lives where people are like, I just need a little space? That's when you say this, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Ruth is saying to Naomi, I know you want some space, but I made a covenant. I made a covenant with my husband, which means I made a covenant with this family. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will, will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. Another translation says, the Lord deal severely with me. And more also, if anything but death parts you and me. I'm making a covenant with you, Naomi. There is nothing that you can do to try to get me away. I don't care if you're mourning. I don't care if you're in your lowest of lowest of lowest of lows. Because my covenant says, I'm going with you. I read something online. I'm totally butchering this. But this is my summary of it. It was, it was the fact that the greatest place of intimacy isn't when two people are standing naked before each other. But it's when they see each other in their worst spot and they choose to say yes and to keep moving forward together in a relationship. They are in their lowest of lowest of lows. It would be much easier for them not to be reminded of the pain that is in their life. But Ruth decides, I don't care about the pain. We're going to fight this pain together. We're going to get healed together. And I'm going with you. And Ruth, knowing she is giving up 
her destiny, being able to go back to her hometown, find herself a husband and have a good old time. But she decides to lay her entire life down, her very values, the thing that she wants most and lay it down into the life of one more person. I'm giving my life to you, you decide. See, that's very scary in our Western culture. You decide my life. In a time where marriage is nothing more than a piece of paper, where people are trying to have these marriage relationships with the contingency that they're not married because it's very easy to run that way. It's a lot easier when things don't go well to just take off instead of having to deal with the divorce process. Covenant and commitment are being downplayed in our society and it's robbing us from our destinies. See, as a result, Ruth goes with Naomi and she goes to, her, to Naomi's hometown and she ends up meeting this guy named Boaz. And Boaz becomes her destiny. She ends up marrying Boaz and Boaz and Ruth have a child together. And this child's name is Obed. Now, the interesting thing about Obed is he happens to be David's grandfather. See, Ruth made a covenant with somebody else, laid her life down, found her destiny, gave birth to the grandfather of David, who is the ancestor of Jesus Christ, who upon the throne of David, Jesus Christ sits. See, she decides that my covenant runs deeper than my current situation. My covenant runs deeper than the death that we're experiencing. My covenant with your house remains. I don't care if the situation changed. When I said yes, I said yes. And she goes, and as a result, we do not know how deep the covenant is going to, to drive. Because as a result, David is born seemingly just with a covenant heart. But I believe it's because of the yes that Ruth had with Naomi. I believe that there are generations that are coming after us that we are robbing from their legacies. We are robbing from their destinies because at the sight of pain, at the sight of hurt, we decide to run. We do not know how deep this covenant goes. One generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation and Jesus Christ is born. Ruth was just welcomed in to the lineage of Jesus Christ because she said yes. David made a covenant with Jonathan and it was very easy for him to make it with his entire household that he remembered Jonathan's children and gave favor to them. We just don't know how deep this covenant is gonna run. When we said yes, this isn't anything Naomi could have planned or that Ruth could have planned. She couldn't have planned that I'm gonna be one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of the Messiah. But it was because she stuck to her yes. She stuck to the commitment in the middle of pain. And if you have made a covenant with the person that is next to you, if you've made a covenant to this house, to this community, you don't know how deep the legacy is gonna be as a result of your yes. You don't know how deep, how far and how wide that calling is gonna go. You don't know how great this world is gonna be changed because they're seeing a people that say yes. In the middle of adversity, in the middle of circumstances changing, in the middle of uncertainty, where they could be trying to use me for their own gain. David could have looked to Jonathan and thought, They're just, he's just using me, he's just tricking me. But he decided to lay his life down to somebody else. His own self-interest, 
He was dripping with oil. He was called. He was the anointed one. And he took the low road. Each and every one of us in this room have been given a specific calling from the Lord. A specific jar of oil was poured out upon you when you got saved. That's only meant for you. But I'm telling you, you're not gonna find it on your own. You're not gonna sit upon that throne of your calling by yourself, driven by fear, or allowing pain to take you out. But it's time as the body of Christ to be confident in him that he knows what he's doing. And he, if he brought me here, he's gonna take me through it. If he brought me to this mountain, he's gonna take me over it. If he brought me to this relationship, he is sure bound to heal it. Because I know that this may be my Jonathan or I may be theirs. Each and every one of us simultaneously need to be somebody's Jonathan and somebody's David. Each and every one of us need to take what is rightfully ours, the strengths that we have been given, the things that are our birthrights, the things that we want to know. Look, I can be the only worshiper up here and I'd be fine with it. I could worship my heart out, Rachel and I, we could just be the worship leaders. But we're called to be Jonathans for the next generation of Davids. We're called to bring people up into our calling to go further and greater that have been anointed to do so. My mom, she can preach her heart out. She doesn't need me to stand up here. This is rightfully her. She started this church. This platform is hers. See, when I got saved, all I wanted to do was preach. All I wanted to do was preach. But I took the road of service. I was the graphic designer of the well at one point. Do you know that? I don't know how to do graphic design. <laughs> but I'll take that heart. And then I was given an opportunity through honor and through service to take an offering message. And then I didn't preach again for two years. Must not have been that good. And then I preached my first message one time down in the basement of her home. And man, I blacked out the entire time. I don't even remember what I said. I, remember, I said something about favor and Jesus. That's all I remember about the message. <laughs> He'll lend his favor to that which carries his glory. That's what my message was on. That's right. It was about the donkey being released and Jesus riding into town on it. Just like David David was giving glory to Jesus. He didn't take his own calling into his hands. But she then has become a Jonathan to be able to pull each and every one of us up here, the entire team that's sitting up here, a bunch of misfits. I mean, we're really a, a handful. <laughs> it's true. But then we're called to be that to the next generation because of how it is modeled. We'd be fine and dandy to take what's rightfully ours and just hoard it. But each one of us are called to take what is rightfully ours and to give it to the next generation, to give it to those that we see have been poured and drenched with the oil of the Lord. I'm sorry I'm going over. But my leg feels good, so... <laughs> 
I haven't even sat. I just realized that. I've been able to stand this long, and I can't even tell you. Must have been the coffee. All right, let's stand to our feet. Let's pray this out. Lord, we thank you. Oh, man. Lord, we are thankful. Seriously, thankful. We don't call it common what it is that you're pouring out in this house, Lord. We don't call it common when we have these experiences where there's salvation. Come on. Oh, my gosh. Hey, buddy, you know there's a party in heaven for you right now? Jesus is working on a mansion right now for you. Hey, you get to live with him for all of eternity. Maybe you can get a water slide. How great is that? And to whoever else committed their life, come on. That's Jesus. But Father, we're grateful, we're thankful for those that have have realized their identity once again this morning or found it for the first time, Lord. Those that are choosing to rise up, God, I pray that each and every one of us rises up with a heart of humility and a heart to serve those that are around us. Lord, show us those ones that you have called us to be the Jonathans to, those that have been drenched with oil for a specific purpose here upon this earth. And Father, let us not walk around in pride that we try to hoard the calling that you have given us. But Lord, we are called to be a body functioning with one another in health and in wholeness. So Father, I pray that you would take down the insecurities that would try to be attached to our identity and what we do. And Lord, that we would find our identity in who we are and who you have created us to be. That we would find it in you, Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would show us those Jonathans that we are to go to, that we are to cling to, that we are to trust, to honor, and to obey, Lord, to lay our lives into, Lord, those those Naomi's that we lay our lives down for, Father, that are going to be the stepping stones to the things that we can't even plan out, the things that we can't even see that are happening, Lord, that we wouldn't be able to find without full trust, without full honor, without integrity, without laying down our lives for somebody else. Father, I pray for a grace to be released right now, and I believe that one already has been throughout this message. Lord, that we would be a covenant people, Lord, that we wouldn't run when there's adversity, but we would fight through it, that we would fight through the awkward conversations, that we would fight through the pain, Lord. We would fight through the hard times, God, and we would believe, 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 believe that you're taking us through and that you know what you're doing. As long as we get up in the morning, we say yes every day. You're taking us through, Lord. So we honor you in this place, God. We honor what it is that you're doing. Lord, we honor this city, God. I thank you for a revival to take place in this city, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for for a massive outbreak of salvations, for healings to take place, Lord, in people's workplaces. I thank you for revivals to take place in people's workplaces, for those that don't know Jesus to find Jesus because they have met the person of the Holy Spirit that reveals Jesus here upon this earth. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you were impacted by this message. For more information about The Well Grand Rapids, please visit our website at www.thewellgr.com.